可供五个季节啊。这小宅五。Another episode of Scry. This episode marks a special occasion, as Scry has had its very first birthday. That's right, boys and girls. Scry is now officially one year old, and I want to thank everyone who has listened, shared their stories, and helped spread the word about Scry over the past year. You all. Are amazing, and don't you ever forget that. In addition to our one-year anniversary, it is now October, which means that Halloween is right around the corner. Maybe your old pal the seer can scare up something spooky for you on this most terrifying of holidays. Enough for my ramblings. You listen to Scry for the terrifying true tales. And my mutterings are taking up valuable time. Let's get to the stories already. Our first tale comes from Rifleman Four, in which he describes his girlfriend's apartment. Let's listen in. When I was real young, under five, my parents owned a house that was built in the 1830s, and they were in the process of renovating the house. Apparently, I kept telling my parents about a guy I kept seeing outside, sitting under a pine tree in the yard. I referred to him as the Pinecone Man. They. Just assumed I had an imaginary friend or something. Then my mom saw him also. I see these things now. She described him to a neighbor, and the neighbor said, "That couldn't be. That sounds like Mister So and So. He died in that house ten years ago." Oh my God! When I got into my teens. And we had moved from the house that my parents told me all kinds of stories about weird stuff happening there. I never really believed them until I started dating my wife. She rented an apartment that was part of a much larger home, almost a mansion that was built in the 1780s. The house had a pretty storied past. It had secret passages and rooms that were used by the Underground Railroad. It was also used as a hospital after Gettysburg, because of a large ballroom that was on the second floor. Anyway, she had apparently had several experiences, such as seeing a woman in white, things moving, pictures flying off the wall, and such. She never said anything to me about it until I had experienced it myself. One night, 
We were sleeping with both of our dogs in the room with us, and we were awoken to a real loud bang. We got up to investigate and found one of her bar stools had been picked up, carried around a corner, and loudly slammed down on the tile floor. It wasn't knocked over, but standing upright on its four legs. So we were both freaked and spent the rest of the night at my house. The last night we spent there, before she moved out, was real scary. All but one of the other apartments were empty at the time. We had been packing all day, and around 10 p.m., we decided to hit the sack. As soon as we turned the lights off, the shit hit the fan. The empty apartments above and beside her came alive. There were footsteps, banging on the walls, what sounded like chairs being drug across the floor, the bed vibrating, and blood-curdling screams. I shit you not, screams. I never felt so much like a scared little girl. Neither of us slept a wink as it all continued without stopping all night. The next morning, one of her neighbors who had lived there for like 40 years commented on what a rough night it was. She said it happens all the time and the ghosts don't like change. Needless to say, I'm now a believer. Rifleman 4, thank you for sharing that story. Your girlfriend's apartment certainly sounds like it has an interesting history. And as many museums claim to make history come alive, it appears that the history in your girlfriend's apartment building is very much the opposite of alive. Thank you for that story. Our next tale is submitted by Reverend Wayless, in which he recounts his experiences living in what his family called the Hell House. Here is his story. This dates back some years ago, when we had to move to Orange, Texas, and we had a house in Logansport, Louisiana as well. My dad got a phone call that the house in Logansport had been broken into. So they went up there to check out what had been messed up or stolen or destroyed. So when they arrived, they started going through things and seeing what all was missing and cleaning things up. 
While cleaning things out of my sister's room, they found an old Ouija board that was given to her when she was a young girl by a step-aunt. She was in her mid-twenties when this happened. That gave it to her one year for her birthday. So my family, being a very religious family, my dad decides that he's going to get rid of it. And he'd always heard that if you threw it away, they would always return back to the owner. So he decided that he would burn it. As he went up to my grandmother's house to find the stuff to burn it with, he commenced to lay it on the ground and tried to light it with a match. And the match went out. He then went into the garage and found some charcoal lighter fluid. He proceeded to pour it onto the box and tried to light it. Needless to say, it wasn't lighting. He used almost a whole bottle and a box of matches, but it didn't work. So my dad, being a believer in prayer, he began to pray, asking God for help and guidance. He walked back into the garage and found some lawnmower gas and took the lid off the box and laid the board on top crossways and filled the bottom of the box with gas and a bit on the board as well. Then began to pray and struck a match and held it to the board. Gas usually ignites from the fumes, but he still had to hold it to the board. As he prayed, the board began to burn in the center, not on the edge where the match was. So he and my sister backed away. As the board was burning, and without warning, the fire exploded straight up into the air, 15 to 20 feet, with a loud scream coming from inside the board. Louder and louder it screams, and the fire goes into the ground with a rumble. And then smoke, as black as night, blacker than any outer space void, It began to scream and moan and moved toward my dad. Every direction he went, the smoke came at him. He even put the wind at his back and the darkness followed him. With one final scream, it was gone. The board and box were just gone as well. Maybe a small bit of ashes and an indentation in the ground where the board was. Well, they came home to Orange, Texas, and we went to church the next day. Everything is good, so we thought. When we got home, we got out and walked to the house, and none of the keys would work on any of the four doors we had so that we could enter into our house. 
My dad thought of the one door that led to the kitchen that was not in the best of shape. He could just bust it in and replace it later. So my dad proceeded to push on the door to gain access. And when you push on things, they tend to fall away from you. But as he pushed on the door, the window shattered out onto him like something was thrown out of it. We go inside and my dad feels like something is on his leg, like running down his leg. So he sits in the recliner and removes his slacks that he wore to church. And blood was pouring out of a wound on his leg that he never felt any pain from. It had bled so much, you could pour the blood from his shoe like you were pouring a drink. He had no snag in his slacks, no blood on any glass, no meat from the wound. By the way, it was two to three inches long and an inch wide and at least an inch deep. That is not just a cut. So we bandage him up and try to make the best of the rest of the day. Little did we know, it was the beginning of a lifetime of hell on earth. The hell house is what we called it. We had no way of moving because we had rented this place from my step-grandfather because my dad's job relocated him where they needed him. So we lived with it for, best I can remember, another five or so years till we were older and out of school. My dad will not talk about it to this day, and he is in his 80s. When I ask or even mention the incident, he begins to pray and walks away. My sister is the same way. I've learned to deal with a lot from spirits, shadows, dreams, and even demons. I'm 46 as I write this to share with you. Funny how I can see these events play in my mind over and over, but I can barely remember my own birthday sometimes. I'm a preacher now and have been for about five years. I still have things happen that I talk to my dad about and more to share if it interests you at all from dreams of being crucified by demons to my house burning down just last year and things that happened in that house before that day. It feels like I'm reliving each moment as I type them on my phone. Even if you don't put this on your show, thank you for reading and letting me know what you think. I live these things day by day. I have scars on the outside and wounds on the inside. Anyway, let me know please if you or the listener want to hear more.
Reverend Wayless, thank you for telling us that tale. That window shattering in such a manner is certainly creepy. And that it was able to injure your father without him or anyone else noticing through his pants. That is certainly a sign of something with an evil intent. And Reverend, you ended your submission with asking us if we wanted to hear more, and we most certainly do. So when we return, we will hear some more of the Good Reverend's story. Welcome back to Scry. I have to admit, being someone who shares stories of the supernatural that often feature plenty of curse words and have the occasional adult theme popping up, I have to say that it is both insanely cool and a blessing to know that we have a reverend in the audience and one who is willing to discuss his experiences as well. Let's get back to the stories of Reverend Wayless, shall we? After my father was attacked, after the Ouija board was burned, that's when strange things began to happen. We lived in a duplex that my step-grandfather let us rent from him. They were old naval barrack houses that he purchased. We rented both sides and made it one big home. Sometime after, we noticed that weird things were happening around the house. It was late one night, and my dad and I were in the living room sitting on the couch, watching TV. We heard clicking coming from what we thought was the wall. The couch was located next to the front door of the main entrance to the home. It was wintertime and all the house was closed up and sealed because of drafts, and these were old houses. We covered the windows with plastic wrap and duct tape. Well, there was one radiator heater that we used because of natural gas prices. The clicking got louder and louder, and the front door just opened. The main lock was still locked, sticking out, not bent, not broken, just like it was locked but not shut. The thing is, it's a barrel lock. You lift and slide the latch. My dad got up and whoosh, like this blast of cold air went through him, but the glass outer door was closed. He stumbled back and looked at me and was confused by what had happened. He closed the door again and locked it and sat back down. That's when he took a piece of paper and put it in the doorway of my sister's room to check for drafts. 
we sat down on the couch and watched TV. My dad says to me, Watch the paper. It's moving. And when I turned my head to watch the paper, it wasn't moving. I thought my dad was messing with me and trying to spook me. So I said, sure, and turned back to watch TV. Again, my dad said the paper was moving. I turned to look at the paper and nothing. He said, watch out of the corner of your eyes. Don't move your head. He was right. It moved a lot, but when we moved our heads, it stopped. So my dad says, just stare at it and see what happens. The paper goes absolutely insane, swinging around violently. Then it stops and starts to spin like a top. My dad gets up to see if there was a draft and it stopped and no draft anywhere. Then the door flew open, the barrel latch still in the lock position. That night, after my family gets home, we go to sleep and my brother comes to my room and says to leave him alone and go to sleep. I had already been sleeping and had no idea what he was talking about. He said, How did you get away from Tim's room so fast? I said, What are you talking about? You were jumping on my bed, and when I turned over, you ran into Tim's room. Tim is a cousin that lived with us. I told him to go back to sleep. He was having a bad dream. He stated, How can it be a dream when I'm awake? We all go back to bed when I hear him run into Tim's room and flick the light on and start yelling at me and Tim. I walk down the hall and ask, What now? What's wrong? He says, Someone is jumping on his bed. We look around and nothing. So I go and lock my door and go back to bed. As I lay there trying to sleep with my music playing on my headphones, I noticed that my door began to rattle. I yell at the door and tell them to leave my door alone. It stops, and I lay there some more trying to fall asleep. And it shakes violently this time, and I yell out to stop, Stop and I hear glass shattering. I get up to turn my light on and see that my full-length mirror is shattered, spider-webbed like something or someone had punched it. Although nothing else happened that night, I didn't sleep either. I told my dad about it, but I never took it down. 
So the next day was Saturday, and my brother, my cousin, and I were at the house alone. I was smaller then, and when the heater went off and cooled enough, I would sit on top of it. But that day, I chose to lean against it and was making my mother's owl wind chimes ring out. They were ceramic, so it was a peaceful tone. Suddenly, we heard a loud crash in the back part of the house, and we walked to our rooms to see what it may have been. Nothing in my room, and nothing in my cousin's room. But my brother calls us to come and see. Let me paint this picture for you. My brother made the other living room his bedroom, and the other kitchen was storage. Now, his room was larger than a regular bedroom, and he had a lot of figurines of eagles and trophies on top of his chest of drawers. He placed a mirror that was for a dresser. The dresser no longer existed onto the chest of drawers. Well, the mirror took two people to put on the chest of drawers, and it was now across the room, in a chair, face down. Not broken, just out of place. And none of the trophies or figurines had been moved. We know that because my brother never dusted anything, and nothing was out of its dust print. It was overwhelming to say the least, but we dealt with it. Dad was the only person hurt by whatever this was. Well, unfortunately, I was the next target. Not much was happening out of the norm of lights being turned on by themselves or stuff being moved. One night, I had my first encounter with sleep paralysis. And it wasn't fun. It scared me. I had fallen asleep with my lights on and had awakened in my bed. But I couldn't move. I could look around with my eyes, but not move my head. I noticed black spots floating all around the room. On the bed, the walls, the ceiling, all over. All of a sudden, my arms shot straight out to the side of the bed, pulled tightly, and my legs stiffened and were placed one on top of the other, foot propped on top of the other. I saw a huge black shadow floating from my feet, just up to my face. And it rolled to show a skeleton face, laughing like I had never heard before. My head fell to the left side, and then agonizing pain in my hands and feet. The pain was intense, and before I blacked out from the pain, my side began to throb with such pain that I cried. 
Then, it was like when you come up out of the water, gasping for air, and I was trying to catch my breath. The pain was still there. It was days before it went away. I told my dad what had happened, and he said, You were crucified. They are after you for some reason. We stayed in that house for about eight or nine years dealing with things. My sister moved, and my cousin moved back to his mom and dad's home. My brother graduated, and I quit school. My mom, dad, and brother moved back to Louisiana to the old home place. I stayed with friends for another year or so. As for the Hell House, my step-grandfather sold it. The people moved out a year later, had the house burned down, and refused to sell the land. They wouldn't say why, but I think I know. To this day, I have dreams about angels and demons, about ghosts, and the Hell House. Things tend to follow me, but it doesn't scare me like it used to. Did I mention that I'm a clergyman now? But that doesn't stop them. Until I remember some more things, I will say for now, good day. And may God protect you. Reverend Wayless, thank you for sharing your experiences with the show. This hell house that you write of certainly sounds like it was an active place. I must confess that I am not an expert on your city, but I do know a little about that region of Texas. It was a place where outlaws and the rowdier elements of the Wild West were known to hide out. And I do know that Orange, Texas did have a hanging tree. It also saw some significant KKK activity in the 1900s, and before all that, it was home to the Atakapans, an American Indian people who are thought of to have encountered Devaka. With just that cursory understanding of history, could it be that there was something else triggering your experiences? Something besides the Ouija board? Or could the talking board have heightened or activated something in the area that your house sat on? I would love to know more about your experiences and any possible history of the land that your house sat on. Thanks again for sharing your encounters with us, Reverend. And may God protect and bless you as well. Our next tale takes us to the Great Lakes. We have already had a couple of creepy encounters shared over the past year from that region. And here we have another. Shared by Balig, here is his experience of an encounter while camping. My college buddies and I were on our annual summer camping trip along the north shore of Lake Superior. 
We were sitting around the campfire, shooting the bull, drinking some beer, whatever. It was late, maybe two to three in the morning. And one by one, my buddies started to fall asleep. We were all just in our sleeping bags around the fire. Since it was a nice night, no one was sleeping in the tent. Eventually, I was the last one awake. I was laying in my bag, looking at the stars, and suddenly, I felt like someone else was awake. I sat up, and there was a little girl sitting across the fire from me. She looked like she was maybe eight years old, and she was just sitting there, cross-legged, between two of my sleeping friends, staring into the fire. I reached over to nudge my brother awake, and when I looked back, she was gone. I woke up all of my friends, and we went looking for her, because I thought maybe she was lost or sleepwalking from one of the other campsites. No one else was really anywhere near us in the campground that night. We couldn't find hide nor hair of her. The next morning, we were talking about it, and this guy said that there was the ghost of a little girl who drowned in Lake Superior years ago and that she haunts the beaches around this area. He insisted that that was what I saw. Apparently, she's a semi-famous ghost between two harbors and Little Marius. Balig, thank you for that story. As both someone who loves camping and as a parent, an experience such as this would surely have me awake for the rest of the night, looking for that child, terrified of what I may find. But being able to tie that to a local legend after the fact, that, my friend, is truly chilling. And with that, it is time to end this seance of sound and banish all things dark beyond the veil. I would like to thank everyone who shared their stories with us for this episode and for this year. If you have an encounter that you would like to share and keep the creep going on for another year, you can share the scare by submitting your encounter at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 573-203-8668. All stories on Scry are purported to be true. I would like to thank Mew and Shadow Vibe, whose music appears throughout the stories in this episode, courtesy of a Creative Commons license. Check out the show notes for more info on these great artists. Speaking of great artists... Check out Troubled Youth, our podcast recommendation for this episode. 
Troubled Youth is a new podcast that features fictional tales that center on childhood fears. The stories presented carry an eerie vibe for sure. And I keep waiting for them to hit up my childhood fear of being in a dark room with a mirror, which, coming from me, is pretty ironic. Check out Troubled Youth at the link in the show notes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, we must once again close the game. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry.